Who do you want to be as a leader? What are the blind spots you're missing? If you had a magic wand and you could change anything about your workplace, what would you do with it? These are the kinds of questions we explore on Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt. I'm a keynote speaker, emotional intelligence coach, and leadership trainer who partners with executives and emerging leaders who want to achieve extraordinary results for themselves and their organizations. You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt. And as always, I am pumped for another phenomenal guest. Today, we're going to be speaking with Keika Desgupta, who's a professional speaker, diversity, equity, and inclusion trainer, marketer, and founder of The Art of Lifing. Keiko believes in moving people from helpless to helpful through a powerful free currency called gratitude. As a 20-year award-winning PR marketing veteran, Keika has dedicated her entire working life to setting the emotional undercurrents that connect people to people and people to brands. She runs gratitude workshops across North America for both students with an anti-bullying focus and corporate audiences with a focus on building happy corporate cultures. Welcome to the show, Keika. Thank you so much, Kristen. I'm so excited to be here with you. Um, I'm always excited to talk with you, Keika. Keika and I met, um, I want to say four or five years ago, time goes by so fast through the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers. And I was instantly connected with, and you'll see as we talk today, her just beautiful, warm, positive, welcoming energy. So it's, uh, I'm grateful for our friendship. Thank you. I am so grateful too. I always felt like your energy, that's what attracted me to you is your, your positivity and your kindness, everything about you just is wonderful. <laughs> We're heart to heart connectors. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so Keika, tell us a little bit. I always like to the audience to get an, an opportunity to get to a little, know a little bit more about your journey and you can start from wherever you like um, get, getting to where you are now and doing this work that you do in the world. Okay. Amazing. So I, I, I come from a public relations and marketing background. And what I actually find funny now, when I look back at my career is I'm a storyteller, you know, in public relations, we always look at our client and say, what's the best way we can connect audiences to the company? What are the stories we can tell? What are the common values? But as a result of that, what I've learned now in all of these years is that there is the story you manufacture, and then there's the story that you feel. And sometimes they're not exactly the same. So maybe I'll give you a short mini version of the two of them, because I think there's a dichotomous story that comes together, you know, so um, as you read from my bio, I've been doing this for a really long time. Uh, I've been in marketing and public relations. And a few years back, I just kept thinking, ah, is marketing it? Like, is, is this it for me? <laughs> Work-wise, there's got to be more. I just felt like there needed to be something more for me, another chapter, but I didn't know what it was. So for a very long time, every time I would blow out a candle or I would I went to, to Europe, every fountain that I put a coin in, you know, my, my biggest wish was like, I was saying to the universe or higher powers, like, please just help me understand what my purpose is. What is this next chapter in my life? 
And it took a few years before that actually came to me, but I patiently waited. And I started off by um, building out some anti-bullying programs for schools. I'm a mom, I've got two kids. So in addition to the marketing work, this sort of, you know, initially was a passion project of mine. And I wanted to go out, I wanted to speak, wanted to make a difference for people. And that is really where I became known for talking about gratitude and this currency and the power of paying it forward, uh, that when you share your gratitude with people not just keep it to yourself but when you share it with other people you have a phenomenal impact on other people um what was interesting is when the pandemic came about and suddenly we were all isolated uh there were people around me friends who were putting on gratitude challenges and all kinds of things and i would say yeah i'm going to participate and then kristen I had no energy to do it. You know, I'd be scrolling on social media and I'm like, I love that they're doing this, but I don't have the energy to even send an email and I'm like basically really working hard to do that, uh, let alone go bake cookies and give it to my neighbor, which I would love to do, but I just didn't have it in me. And I started to reprimand myself. I was like, what's wrong with you? You know, my kids joke around after I did a TEDx talk around gratitude, they started calling me Mama G as in like Mama Gratitude. <laughs> I was like, that sounds a little bit gangster to me. <laughs> and I was like I'm the person who everybody knows is gratitude how can I not do this and I was being really hard on myself and in reflection what I started to realize is that I actually needed to show self-gratitude and I needed to connect with who I was so what happened was I realized that you know and I think for a lot of people in this world men women alike at various ages we get into the roles we play. I'm a daughter, I'm a mom, I'm a best friend, I'm a sister, I'm a professional at work, I'm a teacher, whatever it might be. And then we start to lose touch with who we are. You know, when you see a toddler, they know who they are and they love who they are, right? Somewhere along the line, uh, we, we start to lose that. I've, I've heard you say before that, you know, we are human being, not a human doing, and we, we forget that. And I think that's what was the journey for me was I started to realize, oh my gosh, I wasn't showing gratitude to myself. I wasn't being my own champion. I was actually being really hard on myself based on the fact that I felt like I had an obligation to serve other people. But we all know we have to serve, we have to fill our own bucket in order to help other people. And what I started to reflect on at that point was, I, I'm a brand marketer, right? I've been building brand love for people all my life. I'm like, we come up with an idea for a company in a boardroom, and then I get people around the world to really fall in love with that brand uh, and be a fan. Well, what if we were to use those strategies for ourselves? I actually ended up using those strategies for myself and said, okay, oh my gosh, branding principles can teach us a lot about how to love ourselves, how to build our self-esteem, how to accept ourselves. And when we fill our bucket, it becomes so much easier than to help other people. And there's an analogy I use for that. It's that if I light my own candle, there's a certain amount of light. Then when I take that candle and I light someone else's, we double the light. Now times that by a thousand and what can happen? Times that by a million, what can happen? And that's the work I do today. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so important. And I, I see this so often in workplaces, especially with leaders. I'll see this with HR leaders, like they really believe in creating positive cultures. And so they're on the front lines all the time, giving, 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 yet they forget that if they're not taking care of themselves and having healthy boundaries and work-life integration and doing what they love and recharging themselves, that they don't actually have as much to give and to make the impact that they ultimately want to make. Yes. 
And this is the thing that I think business leaders are just starting to recognize. I think that, you know, the pandemic really opened up for us a lot of the challenges we have in our lives and what's not working. You know, when everything stopped and we're at home, we're suddenly looking at ourselves and we can't get busy. We can't go out and forget things. You know, we're, we're, we're facing it. So the mental health challenges that so many of us are facing and healing from now, it's something that many executive leaders in businesses are starting to recognize. If I don't take care of my employees and support them in that way, they can't bring the best of themselves to, to work. And our mind share is often often our biggest equity at work today. And so this kind of work has a direct impact on business. It has a direct impact on school performance for students, you know, in everything that we do in school, work and life. That's why I call it the art of lifing, because, you know, this, all of these things incorporate our lives, but it allows us if we start with ourselves and give ourselves permission to be our own advocate, um, it changes everything. And I often use this example, like, you know, if you go to, if you're, if you're at a theme park and you see a Coca-Cola exhibit, let's say, well-known brand, been around for over 100 years. Coca-Cola exhibit, you're going to see that Coca-Cola red everywhere, right? You'll see the silhouette of the bottle everywhere. As brand marketers, I'm like, where else can we put the logo? Put <laughs> the logo everywhere. Nobody will ever come up and be like, wow, Coca-Cola is so full of itself. Like, look, it's all about itself. <laughs> we don't do that. We accept brands and expect them to advocate for themselves and build that brand love somehow we lose those same rules for ourselves. And that's what I'm fighting to change mm -hmm. is that, you know, we shouldn't be saying no to ourselves. We shouldn't be editing. We should be freely embracing who we are, but that takes some time and some learning because we've unlearned it as we've grown up. And over the pandemic, especially, you know, we've had to, to face some of the most difficult times of our lives for a lot of people. We're healing from that. We have to do that and move back to where we were. I think it's so important what you're talking about. And it's interesting. I think some people don't even realize that's actually an element of emotional intelligence is to be aware of your self-regard and how are you speaking to yourself? What is that voice? Is it an empowering voice? Is it a disempowering? And many people until they do this and have some introspection don't even realize as they start to take a step back and realize as the observer, oh my gosh, I didn't realize this voice that is going on very loud all day long. Yeah. And I didn't realize how unkind that voice was speaking to me all day. And then mm -hmm. as they realize this, they start to recognize, oh my gosh, imagine what would look different, what would feel different if that voice starts to shift, it's speaking to you kindly yes. and recognizing possibilities and coming from a place of, well, it doesn't have to be this way. And yeah, and I think you're right with yeah. the, the pandemic. For a lot of people where they were able to, um, there's a, there's a, a, a cultural, um, a society that's very much glorifies busyness, right? So it's easy yeah. to say, Oh, I'm just going to keep myself busy and do, do, do be in a lot of yes. action. There's I no feel like I'm worthy because yeah. there's a worthiness that yeah. comes from the performing. And I work with a lot of high achievers. And so there isn't the space. Yes. And through that space is when all of a sudden, oh, I can't run away from all those thoughts yes. and the feelings. Okay, yes. maybe I'm not going to run away. Maybe I'm actually going to take some time to go in there and see yes. what's there. And there's some beautiful lessons and learning and growth that's possible. And of course, like you said, healing, yes. but there has to be a willingness and openness to go on a journey that can feel somewhat uncomfortable. It's so true. And I think that, you know, for me, I was, I was, I 
I can identify now looking back going through all of those stages for sure and uh, you know funnily enough I studied psychology in, in university and uh, I remember one time in a classroom a professor was talking about this sort of the inner critic that voice you know so many people look in the mirror and say oh my god you're so ugly and uh, at the time I was like wow thank god I don't feel like that like that was literally what I thought in my head I'm like I'm really lucky that I don't feel that way and yet what I've come to realize now is that I wasn't verbalizing it, but I was feeling it. Right. And it was so unconscious. You know, when I was 14 years old, I heard some family members of mine say that if only Keika was a little bit taller and more fair, then she would be beautiful. And all my life, I've had people critique me. I was like, I thought I was a, a decent looking person, you know, and they'd be like, oh, your nose is too big or your lips are too black. You should wear lipstick or your, your forehead is too high. You should get bangs, like all of these critiques. And I just always thought, well, you know, I can't do anything about the color of my skin. I can't do anything about my height. Okay, well, I'll wear lipstick then or okay, I'll get bangs, you know, and I internalized those messages that made me feel like I was not enough. But I didn't look at the mirror and say, oh, my God, you're so ugly. Nevertheless, the feelings were very much there. And Maybe I'll just share a story with you, Kristen. This was like years ago. I would say about 15 years ago, I was working with this one woman who was a professional speaker, actually, and spoke around the world. And we were helping her build her brand. And she said to me one day, you know, Keika, you are, you have to sort of let go of this tension. You are wrapped up like a tightly wrapped onion. There's so many layers around you that you're protecting yourself. You're not living. And what she said felt completely foreign to me because I grew up with a lot of people that were, uh, you know, they, they'd see the world as the glass is half empty around them. And I just, I saw how much emotional suffering they went through. And I'm like, I don't want to live like that. And I feel like I'm naturally a positive person. So I went through life glass, glass is half full, glass is half, life is beautiful, you know? And so anything that felt negative, I was like, oh, that's okay. It doesn't bother me. That's okay. Um, and what I would start to do is build up layers. So somebody said this, oh, then I'm going to do this. Someone said that, then I'm going to do this. And I, and I've come to realize now that I actually was living a life where I needed to be a perfectionist. I didn't want to make any mistakes. And all of that was because I was internalizing everything that I had been given and I wasn't actually loving myself. Right. Right. And also what all can happen with that. And I, I know that one very well as someone who's also um, really leans on positivity there was a part of me that I recognized that's always um, striving for pleasure and to always be in that positivity that I sometimes would not allow myself to feel the yeah. feelings that needed to be felt and perhaps have conversations that need to be had because it was always like, oh, I'll just, I was the queen of reframing. I could reframe everything. Oh, that's yeah. it's not, it's happening for me. And it's because of this. Well, maybe there's, if we take a pause, there's something else here yeah. and it might lead to a conversation that needs to happen, a boundary that might need to be honored, a change that might need to be made in your life. Yeah. And, um, I love that, that it sounds like that was an invitation for you to yeah. kind of take a step back and recognize like, and I love the analogy of the onion that is also, maybe there's some other layers here underneath yeah. this that yeah. are, I'm ready to explore. Well, and you know, it felt so foreign to me and so unrelatable at the time because that's how out of touch I was with it. I was a human doing to the fullest extent, you know, and I loved, I love learning naturally. So I was like, I was doing what I wanted in my life. I had a, a husband that I think is amazing. I was like, you know, I don't really, I'm not missing anything. I don't know what you're talking about. That was my reaction. Um, and I just sort of left it. And I was like, okay, well, you know, it is what it is. Um, but then when I started to realize like dec a decade and a half later, 
oh my gosh, there's unresolved feelings I have inside of me that are um, negative towards myself. I'm actually not my own best champion. Even though I spend the t- my entire working career championing brands, I'm actually not doing it for myself. And in that reflection, this made sense. So like to anybody who's listening or watching right now, if this kind of conversation doesn't land, that's okay. You know, it's like sometimes it just takes a little bit of time. And what I find is that we can reframe with our brains all the time. I'm a PR marketer. That's what I do best. But sometimes we have to let our heart feel. And, you know, we we protect ourselves, we protect our heart and don't let it feel because we're worried it's going to get hurt. I certainly was a big one. Like, I don't want anything sad. I don't want to go there. It's not fun. But I've come to realize now for the first time that actually it's okay. It, It doesn't, you know, feeling things is part of life. And I equate it to this idea. If you go to see a movie and the movie's like even keeled, I'm happy the whole time and everyone's positive, you'd be pretty bored by the time you leave an hour and a half or two hours later. You'd be like, okay, well, you know, but if it's got up and down roller coasters and you're on this like emotional roller coaster and this happens in the crescendo and this, that you come out and you go, oh my God, what a journey. That was so good, right? And I'm, embracing feelings in the same way that you know we can feel through our hearts and we can work through whatever we need to because I think in this world too with positive psychology the beautiful part about it is that we've learned the possibility that we can choose happiness but the 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 detrimental side to it is that there can be toxic positivity right where we pretend we're great or we feel obligated to say we're great and yeah. it's, it's okay to say, no, we're crappy. And, you know, brands go through crises, they make mistakes. And what do they do when they do that? They go back to the core of what they know. They go back to their core values. They go back to what they stand for. They go back to what their audiences want. So if we go back to what we want, who we are at our core, we can stand up again. We can feel again. And it doesn't have to feel so scary. You know? Well, and I think what you're saying too is where it leads to when I think about a lot of the leaders I work with, even our journey and helping them really get clear on their core values can be very new for them. It's not something they've done. They start to understand like, who am I at my core? What do I stand for? And a lot of this is dropping down into the heart, right? This isn't an intellectualized exercise. This is around dropping down to, and sometimes it's even bringing them back to childhood. And like when we didn't have all of this conditioning and all of the shoulds and who I'm supposed to be and making sure that you're meeting the expectations of culture and family members and everybody else, who was that person? What did that person believe in? What were some of those characteristics? And they start to realize, oh, well, actually, you know, I'm about this and this really matters to me. And it's reconnecting. And I think you said this at the beginning of our conversation, it's that's who they were. That's who they naturally were. That's that essence. The essence is always there. It didn't go anywhere. It yeah. just gets wrapped up with a whole bunch of stuff and conditioning that yeah. it's coming back to that place. And I, th- I find core values work. It helps them to get clear on, well, what is that guiding lights? Yeah. What is, what, where, where do I want to work towards? And then also recognizing, oh, and sometimes when people are operating in ways where they're noticing they're really triggered, it's just about that person having a different value system or a different way of showing up in the world. 
A hundred percent. And, you know, I, I know this work through the advertising and, and marketing lens. And I would say that, you know, with brands, what we do is we do a lot of deep work in terms of finding a brand's purpose because yeah. people connect with people. You, you don't connect with a building. You don't connect with a logo. You connect with the values it stands for. Yeah. So we spend in advertising a ton of time focusing in on, uh, you know, it's a typical question we ask in the boardroom for branding. But I think that every human being in the world should ask this about themselves. What do I fight for? You know, at the end of the day, when some value is so important for you that you're willing to drop everything else to prioritize that and say, this is something I fight for, you get closer to your core values that way. And brands know their core values. We identify them. We talk about them. And we Everything we decide to do is marked against that criteria. And so we can do that for ourselves. And, you know, in advertising, there's a saying that says, facts tell emotions sell right and if you look at super bowl commercials look at the ones that are most popular the things that we think about later nobody's caught you know talking about jd power and associates and no offense to them i think it's you know they have a great system talking about their their um awards and merits but people remember things that are emotional and we have to tap into our own emotions to be able to define who we are and when we do that we'll connect to ourselves better and the minute we start to do that it's just becomes so much easier to connect with other people it feels much more natural at that point and not forced which is you know on the toxic positivity side i'm going to force myself to do this and be in denial we can veer away from that and just really start to feel for ourselves yeah you know you're reminding me i was actually doing an exercise that i'm doing through a course called positive intelligence and we were connecting with our little five-year-olds and looking at the picture of ourselves and really seeing the essence and having so much love for that part of ourselves but then we were also creating i am statements like who who am i when i look at myself at my core and you know i i looked at myself and I said, you know, I, I am love, I am wisdom, I am positivity. But then when I really sat with it and looked at that little girl, I said, um, the words that came to me is, you know, I'm a champion for bringing humanity together. And I realized, oh yeah, like that's, that's what I'm here to do. Like I, and it doesn't have to, sometimes that feels big, but then it's actually small. It's all those little things that you're constantly doing to help create connection. And a lot of times that starts with first connecting with yourself from the inside out and then in turn creating this connection so that we can bring humanity together instead of unfortunately, some of the um, divisiveness we can see in the world right now, which is yeah. actually people aren't seeing the human and not connecting yeah. human to human. And they're not connecting human to human because they have not connected with themselves, exactly. right? We've lost that. You know, when you were talking about the many layers, one of the things I do in my schools and corporate workshops, it's actually surprising how much content is actually the same <laughs> for yeah. two vastly different audiences, whether it's a grade eight or a grade 11 year old, or it's a C-suite, the, the basic fundamental human values are the same, you know, but I, I do this exercise because I love wearing um, scarves, as you can yeah. see if you're watching this on video. Um, I, I bring a bunch of scarves. And what I do is I'll get one person to sit on a chair and another volunteer. And I'll ask the audience, like, what are the shoulds you've heard? Or, you know, what are the judgments people have put on you? And every time you hear a judgment, we put a shawl on somebody, right? So I've done this at schools where they might say, you have to have health, you have to have clear skin to be healthy. Can we put on a shawl, you know, or girls are not intelligent or that put on a shawl. So every time somebody's said something, judged you in some way, and suddenly you see this, like, this person with like 20 shawls on top of them. Well, this is, you know, we're mentally dusty <laughs> in that way. We have layers upon layers put on us. And then we have, um, you know, people that come in and say, okay, be yourself. 
you can do it, be yourself. Meanwhile, you're carrying this weight and you're trying to be yourself. And, and that's what happens. You know, this is actually, this is funny because I had this conversation with Gordon the other day, my husband, and I said way back a long time ago, uh, you know, when I was doing a lot of branding and PR work, I could see the, the potential detrimental impact that advertising can have on our psyche. You know, we're exposed to over 5,000 messages a day. And in advertising, we're always saying you need something. Like if you don't need it, you're not going to buy it. Right. So your teeth are not white enough. So you need this whitener. Your hair is not shiny enough. So you need the shampoo. Like, so 5,000 messages of things that you need reinforce the message. You're not enough. And, you know, I've worked for the biggest brands around the world like Nike and Disney and Ikea and I was like oh my god am I going to hell one day (laughs) what am I doing for society and I used to say to Gordon like I love my work I love the marketing work that I do and and I I thought maybe one day I'm going to be that anti-brand marketer when I retire one day because I can't be doing this work and then talking badly about it and I love this work so how do I not do it but at the same time I could see the detrimental effect and I was like this is just not right and what lights me up today is that I have, uh, I feel like, you know, the universe has helped me stumble upon this idea that let's take everything that brands do globally, these powerful principles that make the world go around in business and sell, and let's, let's use those strategies on us. And now suddenly I feel like, oh my gosh, I can now do good with yeah. everything that I know, and I can help reverse this impact, you know, that if we start to take the brands we love and look at what we love about them and then apply those same principles to ourselves, it just becomes much easier to open ourselves up and reconnect with who we are. Mm. Um, you know, I was I was in uh, this tiny little town in Colombia. It's called Tuchin. Uh, I was helping another fellow entrepreneur. We were working with the Zenu, Zenu tribe there. It was an incredible one-week experience. We were working with artisans and creating products we were bringing to North America. So the entire seven days that we were there, we were in this brand new condo that had just been built. I think it was one of three concrete buildings in the entire town. And uh, we had a mattress, a fan, and our suitcases of stuff like there's nothing else so it's not even a mirror so we were brushing our teeth with our phone putting it on selfie mode so we can see ourselves what i found fascinating was the entire seven days that we were there first of all it's like 40 degrees so our faces were melting in sweat <laughs> it was like um but we had no mirrors in the house uh, no mirrors anywhere really and there was no billboards there was no advertising around it was just a small town you know so aside from the little stores that had a few things there was no mass advertising the entire seven days that I was there I didn't once worry about the clothes I was picking out in the morning what I might look like I'm conscious of parts of my body as we all are you know I want to make sure I feel good in this none of that mattered because I wasn't being bombarded with those experiences and messages and it wasn't until I think it was the sixth day when I was starting to pack and I thought oh I've kind of like worn everything around I thought it didn't even occur to me to worry about what I felt like well I was like imagine that would be very hard for us to do today like cover up all our mirrors and shut ourselves (laughs) off from advertising but it just showed me how powerful and potentially detrimental advertising can be so then now let's turn it on its ear and let's use that power for ourselves Uh, because I think as with anything in life it's not black or white it's many shades of gray right we have to find Mm -hmm. that that balance and mix so I don't I'm not an anti-marketer I don't think advertising is bad I think it serves a very important purpose but I do think that we don't have to let it um, affect us adversely we can actually take the power from it for ourselves 
I mean, a hundred percent. I think that's what it looks like to be discerning. And then also recognizing what do you need to, to also be aware of when you're feeling there's a lot of noise. I know for me, and I talk a lot about clients, how, when you just get in nature and get away from everything and yes. put your phone away, like there's nothing with you, you're just outside in nature none of that. You don't feel any of that. It starts to immediately. It's like this, this excess just kind of gets pulled off of you and you just relax as soon as you walk out there. Yeah. And I, for the same reasons that you, you said, like I, I social media has can create an, um, an enormous amount of connection with others. There's so many relationships that I have that never would have, I never would have had if it wasn't for social media that brought us together. There have been ways in mass scale that you can create messages that help us all connect with one another. And it's about the discerning again, because I know for myself, like I create, and I've talked about this a little bit on the show where Sundays are my um, no tech Sundays and my phone gets put away for uh, from Saturday night and doesn't come back out till Monday morning in service of, I just know that my brain needs that space and relaxation from all of the noise to reconnect with myself. And so I think that's where for each of that, each of us, that's going to look a little bit different, but what does it look like to have really healthy boundaries with technology and with the noise out there? Yeah. And I love the way that you approach this is it's not like a diet where you're taking something away. You're actually giving that time to yourself. It's a beautiful way to approach this. So it's like asking yourself, what do I need to be able to calm the noise and just be with myself? And uh, that could be powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I knew this conversation was going to go by so quickly, but I I, (laughs) I want to touch on um, because I think it's such an important piece that you're talking about. And um, I think it's wonderful because everyone listening as leaders, I love with our conversation that it's very whole person focused and you're going to be able to apply everything we talk to both in your personal life and in your professional life, because all of this is connected. And, and one of the things that's, I see a lot of in organizations where there can be a misconception is when we start to talk about things like quiet leadership. And I love your take on what quiet leadership is. And to be quite honest, when I talk about inspirational leadership, that encompasses a whole bunch of different leadership qualities. Um, But one of them is definitely like those quiet leaders are a huge part of what inspirational leadership is. And they don't always um, have their voice amplified in the same way. And sometimes that's because it's quite intentional. They don't want to amplify in the same way. Yet, I want this to be a platform where we can make sure that we are giving a voice for quiet leaders and, and how important they are to cultures. Quiet leaders can change people's lives. And I, I think we don't value that or, or celebrate it as, as, as much as we should. <laughs> uh, and, you know, a lot of people have come to me and said, you know, I love your idea of quiet leadership because it, it validates introverts as leaders. And I think it's really important for us to acknowledge that. But I also think it's important for us to understand quiet leadership is not just for introverts. It's not yes. just for extroverts. It is a way of being. And, you know, wh- uh, when I, I started my career at Ikea, and I was there for seven years, and I, I remember very early on in my career, I had taken a management course there. Honestly, one of the best courses, like I've taken those lessons all throughout my, my life. But I remember at that time where they had said, when you are going and so you're a manager, you're a leader now, right? This is the leadership training. Um, you're going to somebody who's a direct report. You've got, you know, 10 people that are reporting to you. How do you communicate with them? What's the best way to communicate with them? Do you take your strengths? Do you take the team's strengths? You know, uh, and 
my overachieving self naturally was like, well, I should give of my strengths, wherever my strengths are, I should approach people with that, because I can give the best of myself to them. And to my utter surprise and amazement, they said, no, <laughs> they said, when you are a great leader, you look at the person who is your direct report, you're looking at who you're speaking to, and you evaluate their needs, and you give them the information in the best way that they will receive it. So kinesthetic learner, audio learner, whether they're visual, whether they're concise, whether they're comprehensive, whether they're visionary, you know, we as leaders have to recognize that that is quiet leadership. That is like, I'm not standing on a stage with a microphone and through, you know, yelling at everybody and saying, this is who we are. We tend to define leadership like that in society, but great leaders can not only have that part, but they can more importantly, I think often see the undercurrent of a company and undercurrent of a team, the motivation for an individual. And so what that means is it's a one to one conversation where somebody says, I see you, I hear you, I'm going to give you the materials you need, I'm going to acknowledge you, you know, just being acknowledged is so powerful. And I think in our business world, we don't recognize that all the time. Um, you know, the, the three basic human needs is like, I, I see you, I hear you, and you matter, right? And Yet there are so many studies upon studies that talk about how gratitude is one of the very last things that people receive or practice or get at work. But we want to motivate our employees. We talk about employee engagement. Companies are spending billions in training on employee engagement. But the quiet leadership is the glue that brings people together. So to me, it is about people who don't have to have the loudest voice. It's the ones who listen, who listen to what people need and then give them that. It's time and intention that is the most powerful thing. And when you can do that, you can transform not only individual employees, you can transform a workplace, you can transform cultures and brands holistically. A hundred. And to me, this is what I talk about when I'm saying human leaders. And I love that you made the distinction that it's actually not about some might be introverts, but you could still be an extrovert. It's not about that. It's about how you're showing up for your people. And, and the adapting piece is huge. And even understanding their drivers, people are going to have different drivers and what matters most to them. And it's interesting when I do leadership training, or even do talks, I'm always asking people, you know, talk about some of the qualities of your worst leaders, and they're always very consistent uh, behaviors, and then talk about the qualities of the, you know, the best leaders you've ever had. All of the con consistent qualities are what you're talking about. They're all around the quiet leadership, right? They were people who really saw me that got to know me as a human who saw things in me that I couldn't see in myself that wanted yeah. to help me reach my potential. Like they yeah. cared deeply about helping me reach my potential. Um, they, when, when I was with them, I felt like there was nobody else around and that they really, really were listening to me and um, fully present. And if you can do yeah. that with all your different team members, and I think the communication piece that you're talking about is sometimes what get, gets missed as well, right? Like some, some people as individuals, they don't want their leader talking out loud around them. That's uncomfortable for them, but to say one-on-one, -on -one, yeah. I am so grateful for you and thank you. And then getting into the direct feedback for what you did with this and constructive feedback. There's a misconception that, yeah. I mean, a quiet leader is always someone when you're helping someone grow and develop. Mm -hmm. You're also giving them constructive feedback, but it's the way you've now connected human to human with that person when you're giving them that feedback. Because you've built that connection, you've built that trust. And so then the message is received differently. And, you know, I've had the privilege of working with many different C-suite CEOs and, and um, you know, senior leaders, and I've consistently found it, and there's research to back this up too, that 
the most successful CEOs are the ones who do exactly as you said, see potential in their people before those people even see it for themselves. And then they help them rise to that occasion. And so, you know, when people ask me, what do you do? Sometimes, you know, the shoemaker has the worst shoe. And for the longest time, I was like, well, do you have half an hour? Let me explain what I do. But I have, um, I, I have landed on this and it feels really good for me because I think this is what quiet leaders do. And it encompasses everything that I work for is I help people young and old believe in themselves unconditionally at work school and life right so I feel like if we can ultimately as leaders help the people we work for believe in themselves unconditionally imagine what your business would look like if people believed in themselves unconditionally when they were going in for a make it or break it negotiation when they're going to pitch a new account that's going to bring in millions of dollars in business when they are caring for their customers when they're building new products or services you know when they're caring for their teams in every aspect of business if we bring our employees to the workforce where they believe in themselves unconditionally they have permission to bring the best of themselves and so you know when we talk about soft skills like I often used to think um, that you know, when you say, I, I remember in my, my IKEA interview when I was getting a promotion, I'm going to the head office in my interview, they said to me, tell me one, give me one word that describes you. Yeah. And, you know, I, I like today, I would probably be like, oh, I should maybe say passionate or driven or, you know, business minded and focused. The best thing that came out of my 24 year old head at the time was I'm nice. And as soon as the words left my mouth, I was like, oh, that was not a powerful word at all. But I knew in my heart that I am a nice person and I take pride in the fact that I'm nice, but I also believe niceness gets you everywhere in life. I just didn't feel like I had permission to say it. We weren't in a business culture at that time that would allow people to be like, oh yeah, Kate is a powerful businesswoman. Why? Because she's nice. But you know, with quiet leadership, when we look at soft skills today, Forbes and, and Entrepreneur Magazine and all, like Harvard Business Review, all of these, you know, uh, publications are now finding research and sharing these soft skills actually make it or break it for us in business. Why? Because emotions sell, right? We go back to those principles of the heart to heart connection. So if I'm nice to you, I'm going to disarm you, we're going to create a trust for each other, we'll bring integrity into the conversation, it changes the whole dynamic. So niceness and how powerful it is for business is I think something that leaders are starting to recognize today, which very honestly, Christina, that makes me utterly happy. Yes, <laughs> the little yeah. girl in me wants to do that little happy dance to right. say, I'm so, so happy I said I was nice in that IKEA interview. Because yeah. damn it, I was nice. <laughs> yeah. And and I think they're also understanding that nice doesn't mean that you're not being direct and assertive and holding boundaries. It's not being misinterpreted. No, they're nice. not mutually exclusive. Yes. You don't have to be one or the other. Exactly. And in fact, can I just share really quickly? I know we're, we're when I was at IKEA in the marketing department I used to manage all of the negotiations for sponsorships television shows so I did a lot of work with HGTV and you know all five foot one of me <laughs> the nice Keika um, I, a lot of people used to think that you know what we're, we'll figure it out I remember one television show this happened a few times the so one television show they had um, set up a, a contract with us but then they couldn't fulfill all the obligations they had like some scheduling issues couldn't give us the exposure they wanted they were like listen we'll just we'll 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 soften Keika up. She's really nice. We'll get it. That's really no problem. And they came to me and said, listen, you know, we have to change this, that. 
I had a contract. I had an agreement. I was holding firm. And I said, okay, I understand that the scheduling issues are there. Let's find a win-win solution. I wouldn't let it go. I was like, I'm doing this for my company and it has to be done. And later at a Christmas party, uh, that producer came to me and said, hats off to you. <laughs> she said, you know, when I first started working with you, I thought, oh, she's like a pushover. I can just get whatever I want from her. And then she looked at me and said, you are tough. And I loved that I could be tough. And yes. nice. Like we became yes. really good friends, you know, and yes. it was like, I love that I can be tough and nice at the same time. And that's okay. You can be fair. You can, you can hold boundaries, as you said, but you don't have to be not nice to do it. You yes. Don't have to do that with niceness, with yes. kindness, with empathy, with all of those things. Ah, this is a, I think this is a beautiful place to end off the interview. Keika, you have just shared so much wisdom today. And I'd like, I'd love to let my audience know where can they learn more about you and your work? Yeah, come visit my website. It is www.artoflifing.com. So lifing is a word I've sort of made up, L-I-F-E-I-N-G. And it came from the idea that, you know, people would, young people would say, look, I'm adulting. Yes. And I was like, well, you know, for me, I was I was too old. I was not of that generation to be able to get away with that. But I was like, look at me, I'm lifing. I'm doing life on purpose. I am peeling back those onion layers and I am living the life I want to live. And so uh, come visit my website or you can um, visit me on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel as well. Same thing, Art of Lifing. Nice. And we will have all of that in the show notes. And I love, I don't think I ever got to hear how you came up with the name. And I think that is super creative and I'm not at all surprised. <laughs> we'll share that another time then. Yes. Sure. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here today, Keika. Thank you, Kristen. It was such a pleasure. I always, I feel like I could talk to you for an entire day. <laughs> uh, we You're love wonderful. you, Keika. And for everybody in the, wherever you are in the world, we're saying good morning, good afternoon, good evening, sending tons of love. And as always, if you want to learn more about the different ways that I can work with you from doing keynotes for your organization, training, coaching, development, culture work, I'd love to have a conversation. So check things out at kristenharcourt.com. And I always love having a conversation. Bye, everyone. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace. Practice self-compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you.